Hey there, welcome to Cancel This. I'm your host, Angelo Sidoro, and today I'm going to be speaking to Megan Murphy. She's a writer, political commentator, and mostly she's known as a feminist or a TERF. That's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. It's a big new term. Um, she is someone who's been really entangled in this culture war in North America. And she finds herself in an interesting position, which is not necessarily coming from the right, but someone who likely considers themselves to be a liberal. So that insight's really interesting to me. She is the subject of controversy, but who isn't basically? I mean, she's on the right podcast for that. And honestly, it makes me want to speak to her more uh, just so I can find out what's going on. I've always wanted to speak to her. We're in the same city. Uh, I've seen her events. I've seen the protests for her events. And I just think it's really fascinating to speak to a woman who is a feminist who's standing up for women, but is doing it in her own way. So I think she's someone really fascinating. She has her own podcast called The Same Drugs, which you should check out after this. And with that said, please give this a listen and let me know your thoughts. Hey, Megan Murphy, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to finally have you on. Like we've known each other peripherally, but we haven't gotten a chance to actually sit down and talk about stuff. And I think you're someone that's that's interesting because you come at this cancel culture thing from a pretty different perspective than I'm used to, where like my background is all these, you know, stuck up conservatives basically. And you sort of led the charge, at least in Canada, for feminists being, you know, free speech activists at the same time. And, and there's this big war between the TERFs and the whoever and everything. So I'm glad to have you on. I'm glad to basically ask you a bunch of questions. Um, and I guess first I wanted to start sort of broad. And this might be a stupid question, but how do you think... How do you feel things are going right now in terms of the cancel culture movement? Do you, do you think like we're making progress to putting an end to this or is it getting worse? I think people are getting really sick of it. So I think in terms of like the general public, the individual, the citizen, I think that people are over it. You know, people who maybe even were on board at some point thinking, you know, like, these people are saying bad things. These people are doing terrible things. Like, clearly we should squash them. I think it's just, it's, it's overkill, right? <laughs> you know, like, it's almost a joke at this point. Um, and... The problem is that I think that as far as institutions go, things are not improving. So I think in in academia, um, in politics, things like that, even, you know, in science, um, you know, researchers are getting canceled, professors are getting canceled. And I think that's quite serious um, because because it's becoming institutionalized and sort of regulated and and in media of course i should mention of course in media it's terrible especially in canada if we look at you know places like the cbc and any real mainstream news media outlet in canada i mean cancel culture has ensured that the media is so biased there's no real reporting being done there's no real truth there's no fair reporting and um, people are scared. You know, I've talked to reporters who work in mainstream media um, and have worked in mainstream media for a really long time. 
And they're afraid to say anything. They're afraid to even interview certain individuals. You know, people like me, for example. Um, you know, they'll, they'll get cancelled for speaking to me. For actually doing their jobs properly and trying to actually report on a story and, you know, cover the various sides of a debate. Um, and, you know, they're not doing that. I mean, I've essentially stopped listening to the CBC because it's intolerable and you just can't trust them anymore. I mean, they've, they've destroyed trust in the media and in the news. So the effect of that is that everybody becomes conspiracy theorists. You know, everybody becomes the, the meme shouting fake news. But it's because we know you're not doing your job and we've we've lost trust for good reason. And that just means that we don't believe what any of you said. Hopefully the result is that you go do your own individual research and you actually do good research. But maybe you don't. Maybe you just find stuff on Facebook or on Reddit. And, you know, not to say that there's not useful information on Facebook and Reddit, but often, you know, that information isn't necessarily any better either. And you come up with your own story. But so, yeah, because of what's happening in institutions, I, it seems like cancel culture is getting worse. But I do see uh, a notable backlash from the public. Um, and you see, you know, you see comedians speaking out about it and things like that, which is good, which means that the backlash is going more mainstream. Yeah. Well, not only comedians, but I think you are seeing people who lean more left, right? Like there is that famous letter that a bunch of progressives sent to, to I think, Harper's Magazine. Um, even just the other day, uh, you know, John Cleese was sort of attacked um, for supporting J.K. Rowling. And he basically just told everyone to fuck off. And he is someone who's basically completely liberal, as far as I can tell you, like hates Trump and everything. So... It, it does seem like it's shifting, so you're right. It feels like more people are, are sort of done with it. At the same time, there's still that bullying in media where you mentioned this in your article in The Spectator where, you know, there's this teenage kid who writes an op-ed about how much he loves Joe Rogan. Completely innocuous, like I'm sure you, you've read it. It's a totally innocuous op-ed, I think, in the Globe and Mail. And then I think they did a response to it, and you had all these journalists that have been journalists for like 10, 15 years going after this 19-year-old kid who just wanted to mm -hmm. write an op-ed. So you're right in both ways, that in some ways more normal people, comedians, people who maybe consider themselves liberals are done with it, but at the same time there's this hardcore bullying going on. Yeah, and I mean Canada, Canada is a very woke especially in terms of arts and culture and media um and politics um but also we're a culture of very polite people who are afraid of conflict and afraid of controversy and we'd prefer to just say the nice thing or the politically correct thing and therefore, you know, get along with everyone, not cause any trouble, not get into any arguments, not feel uncomfortable, than to challenge or tell the truth or to debate or whatever. So while, you know, the tide might be turning more broadly in the UK, in the US, um, in certain contexts, again, not in all contexts, in Canada, we don't seem to be doing quite as well on that front. Do you ever have people who, you, you mentioned journalists before, and this is why I ask this, do you ever have people, whether they're supporters or acquaintances or whatever, 
who may email you or message you privately and say, I love everything you're doing, I agree with you 100%, but I can't be public about it. Or I can't be seen with you, or I, you know, it would ruin my life, but I agree with you. I want you to know privately that I agree with you. Have you gotten those sort of responses to your activism? Oh, constantly. I mean, I get emails and messages from strangers who say things like that, but my friends tell me that all the time. Does it piss you, you off? Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily... You know, I understand why there are some people who can't speak out publicly about certain issues because of their job. You know, that's sort of like the one excuse I feel is valid. Like, if you're literally going to lose your job, if you say something publicly, then I understand why you might not want to. I mean, at the same time, I have lost work and lost income and lost jobs for speaking out about things that I believe in. So it's hard for me to be completely sympathetic because we all take risks. There's different level of risk, but you know, I take enormous risks and I would argue that anybody who speaks out about, you know, taboo subjects, in my case, it was, you know, primarily the gender identity issue, the issue of um, trans activism. But I've spoken about many other things that have gotten me in a lot of trouble. You know, I've been canceled now more times than I can count. But um, yeah, it pisses me off. It re- it pisses me off a lot when it's people who are close to me because I feel like, you know, why are you telling me this? Like, why are you why are you wasting my time sending me a message saying like, hey Megan, like I really I really support what you're doing, but you know, like I just just so you know, I can't like any of your posts on Facebook. I'm like, okay, then I don't know why are you telling me? Like, I appreciate messages of support, but. What what's going to happen to you if you like my post on Facebook or you share this article? Um, are you I mean, the reality is that most people are afraid of social backlash. Um, people are afraid of what their friends will think. And and, you know, people don't want to get in arguments on social media, which is like fair enough, because I hate arguments. On, like, I don't even want to post my stuff on social media. Like, I have to because it's my job and I'm, you know, like an independent writer, journalist, media producer. So I'm wholly responsible for getting my work out there and trying to make an income from that. So I have to. But I hate it. I hate Facebook. I don't want to argue with people on Facebook. I don't want to hear from, you know, a thousand commenters who are going to, you know, call me names and misrepresent my arguments over and over and over again. It's exhausting. At the same time, you know, like I end up feeling thrown under the bus when people respond to me in that way. Um, You know, I've had like boyfriends say, you know, in the past say, you know, oh, well, like, how can I can't bring you here because so and so is here and they don't like you. And it's like, you know, grow some balls, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like I'm the one putting my neck out, not you. Like, I don't care what these people think. I'm not afraid of them. And I'm, you know, I'm honestly, it really doesn't bother me to be in, in places, you know, at parties, at events with people who don't like me or disagree with me. I mean, how do, who cares? How does that affect me? I mean, am I going, am I moving about life thinking that everyone agrees with me and like, likes me I, you know it doesn't affect me I can still be polite we don't have to be best friends oh well um 
But it sort of, it ends up feeling sort of like, what is so important about you? You know, why is, why is your comfort more important than my comfort? Or more important than the comfort of whomever or whatever, you know, whomever I'm standing up for? Because at the end of the day, when I'm speaking out about certain issues, it's because I have genuine, very serious concerns about how those issues impact real people and how those issues impact society. Um, I don't bother speaking up about things unless I really believe that those things matter. Um, I don't have anything to gain from that. And I, I do it because I care. And so to me, when people tell me those things, it just tells me that you care more about yourself than you do anyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, and you care more about yourself than the well-being of society. You care more about yourself than doing what's right and ethical. And to me, I can't not say something. If it matters that much, if it's, you know, something that's so harmful and so unethical and so dangerous, I'm going to say something. I have to say something. I can't not. And it's hard for me to relate to people who don't feel that way. Well, I think... To your point, there's a lot of people, especially in Canada, that feel that way because we are a more passive culture. Call it politeness, call it being passive. But I, I ask you the question because, like, I've had a similar thing happen, obviously not to your degree, but I've had professors uh, email me and say, you know, I support the free speech thing and this and that, but I can't be public about it. And after you get, like, a thousand messages, you begin to wonder whether we're all walking on eggshells over seven really loud people that will try to ruin your life, because it does feel like the majority of the population agrees with you, but the majority of the population is too afraid to do anything. And, and I mean, when it comes down to it, I think you're someone who takes action in the world. Like, I've been to, to your events where there's like, you know, three, four hundred crazy you know cabal protesters outside and you know some of them have i'm sure you remember like cardboard guillotines and like just nuts like totally crazy stuff but you like totally remain unfazed by it where do you think that comes from do you think you're just you know do you think certain people are just wired that way where they're missing the part of their brain that should be polite and passive like like where do you, where does that come from for you I don't know. <laughs> I mean, people do ask me this and I've thought about it often because like I said before, I have a hard time relating to the people who don't speak out and who can just stay quiet and feel okay staying quiet um, because I don't feel okay staying quiet. Um, I think, I mean, I think I've always just had kind of a rebellious spirit. Like I've sort of been like this a little bit since I was a kid where I would get really, really angry about injustice and I would want to do something about it. You know, when things are not fair or not right, it bothers me and, and I want to speak about it or fix it or complain about it or take action. Um, and I, I mean, the other aspect is just that you sort of you sort of have to fake it till you make it. I mean, it's not as though when I started doing these events, it didn't scare me. It still scares me. You know, it's not that I don't feel afraid of these protesters. I do feel afraid of them. And that's, you know, I won't do an event without 
private security because I'm afraid that something will happen to me. Um, and, you know, and when I first started doing events, I felt scared of public speaking. I still don't like public speaking. You know, it's just sort of, it's something that you have to do. I feel that it's something that you have to do. It's my moral obligation to do it. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And, and you also learn that you can. I mean, it's one of those things where you, you, build, you build confidence by confronting your fears, by doing things that you're afraid of, by challenging yourself, by failing, and then, you know, getting back up and, and you know, keeping, <laughs> keeping going. And I think that a lot of people don't have that experience so they don't know that they can do it and they don't know that it'll be okay and they don't know that they're stronger than they think um part of that is probably this like cultural problem of of coddling that jonathan Haidt wrote about um where people think that any bad feeling or uncomfortable feeling has to be avoided um where you should be comfortable at all times you know you shouldn't feel triggered and that's not how you build confidence. You know, that's not become how you become a person of substance. That's not how you build character. Building character sounds like this, like, I don't know, old fashioned thing, like where your dad in the fifties or whatever is like, it'll build care, this shitty thing that you have yeah. to do. You should do it because it'll build character, but it does build character. Like doing hard things does build character and it makes you like yourself and respect yourself more. You know, there's personal value in it as well as, social value and I learned that through doing it and you know by having to go through these like hard things that are still hard for me like I think that maybe people think that I don't feel it like they think oh I can't do it it'll be too stressful for me and on one hand I do like I am a, a person who handles stress very well I'm not I'm not a high anxiety person I luckily don't struggle with mental health issues um but at the same time, you know, it is stressful and it is hard and it does, you know, and it does hurt when your friends sort of bail on you and abandon you um, and uh, or judge you or, you know, when people that you know say terrible things or untrue things about you on the Internet. You know, it is it's it's difficult, you know, it's not an easy thing, um, but you do, I mean, you, you, you do learn how to cope and you sort of, as you, you know, as you do it and as you mature and as you build confidence and as you learn to, to trust yourself better, you, you stop taking things quite so personally. Um, and you, of course, realize that you don't have to be liked by everybody and it's okay. And, it doesn't matter. Maybe, you know, maybe some people hate you. Oh, well, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't control how other people feel about you, right? Yeah. Well, you want to choose something in your life that matters, right? I mean, you talk about always being somewhat rebellious. I think I've, I've been similar where when I was a little kid, I was pretty, if they say up, then I go down and I do the opposite of everything. But you know, the issues that you talk about, about women, about women's spaces and the, the trans identity stuff, like, this is a hill that you've chosen that you're like, I'm dying on this hill. What, at what moment, what issue or what event or, or what was it that made you say, 
I'm, I'm dying on this hill. This is it. Doesn't matter if my life, you know, gets shaken up or whatever. This is, this is the one. Um, I'm not sure if there was one particular moment, but I do, you know, when I did start to think about this issue of, of gender identity, um, ideology and, you know, start to speak out about trans activism and, and women's spaces, it was because the women that I was allied with and supported and working with were under attack. So it was out of a desire to stand up for, for other women. So here in Vancouver, um, Vancouver Rape Relief was under attack for their women-only policy. And I was... I was loyal to them and I felt defensive of them and I wanted to stand up against these people who were bullying them and, you know, threatening their funding and constantly attacking them and slandering them. When I saw, you know, they were doing all this really important work for women, I was like, these are women who are working really, really hard, many of whom are volunteers, to support you know, the women who are, some of the women who are suffering the most in Canada, women who are battered women, women who are prostituted women, women who are poor women, women who have nowhere else to go, women who've been raped. And um, I just found it so appalling that the women who were doing so much were the ones who were under attack. And so I started to look into the issue more and I, I, you know, I was like, I've got to figure this issue out. I've got to get my arguments together. I know that if I speak out about this, I'm going to have to make sure there's no gaps in my argument. Um, and, and then shortly after that, um, you know, women in the UK began speaking out about the issue and and we in Canada were presented with Bill C-16, which is Canada's gender identity legislation. Um, so the women in the UK who had started to speak up about gender identity in women's space and speaking out about men having access to these spaces where women are vulnerable, um, those women were under attack and I wanted to defend them and I felt that it was unfair for these women to be under attack and for me not to say anything, just to protect my own neck, just to protect my own job or my own income or whatever. You know, I was like, no, we have to speak out. You know, we can't just throw this woman under the bus. Um, and And then once the legislation came about in Canada, I just thought, you know, this is really serious, you know, if we legislate around this, we're in big trouble, and we are in big trouble, you know, that my concerns have come to fruition, you know, men are being transferred to women's prisons, men are allowed to access women's change rooms, um, Vancouver Rape Relief did lose funding for their women-only policy, and I'm, I think that they're the only women's shelter in Canada that has maintained a women-only policy. You know, at other women's shelters, they have to tolerate men in those shelters. And women have had to leave shelters because they said, sorry, you've got to share a room with this strange, intimidating guy um, because he says he's a woman. Too bad. You you have no rights. And, you know, and, and now we're seeing we're seeing girls, you know, young women and girls being transitioned in Canada, their bodies ruined for life before they're even able to contend with what that means. I mean, no 
14, 15, 16-year-old understands what it means, like what the long-term impacts are of not going through puberty or um, going on testosterone or cutting off her breasts or getting a hysterectomy. Um, There's really serious things that are happening right now in Canada um, that are sort of an extension of Bill C-16 and of this ideology taking root. And part of that is because nobody really thought about it and bothered to speak up aside from a few people, really just a few people. You know, there was myself, you know, Jordan Peterson said something. There was a few other women. Um, There was a Quebec feminist group. uh, And... I yeah, just, was, you know, yeah. and that's this, this culture that I complain about in Canada where we all sit around and politely and watch terrible things happen because we don't want conflict. Like, you, there's going to be, con- if you're going to stand up for something that's wrong, there's probably going to be, con- you're going to get pushback. Yeah. That's, that's a reality. It's not well, going to be easy. It, it, I mean, the shocking part to me, just listening to this, is the fact that we are so desensitized to the fact that you're talking about a rape shelter being defunded because they wanted to only have women in it. Like, you understand, like, you're probably desensitized to it too, where that, if you go and tell someone that, that is apathetic to politics, you say, yeah, it's, are you for defunding rape shelters or are you against, what are you for? Everyone's going to agree with your position, but it seems like Canadians just fall into that passive, you know, that passive milieu, the way they act. It's really preposterous to me. And to your point, I'm also quite shocked uh, when it comes to kids. You know, I I was sitting and watching um, the new HBO documentary, Transhood. Have you heard of it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just watched it the other night, actually. Oh, really? Okay, so then you know, it's quite... I'm still not used to it. I'm still not desensitized to seeing kids going through that. It still quite Mm -hmm. shocks me. Uh, And the fact is, again, there's there's this thing where when you're in private with people, I call it like dinner table transparency, when when the, the white picket fence family that's woke on the outside, maybe, when they're in home, they're really honest with each other, right? They'll, they'll agree with, with a Megan Murphy, but they're not willing to sort of take to the streets like you are. And I think that's, that's a massive problem because there's victims. I mean, the, these shelters, like you said, the women that go in there, they don't want to go in there, number one. They have to. They've been abused. They're trying to escape. A lot of times it also has to do with, you know, religious aspects where we know there's a lot of abuse of women in, in Islam. Uh, the need for it is so paramount. So it's quite shocking that so few people are willing to die on that hill with you. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, we're already lacking in shelter beds. Um, Like you, you say, if a woman's going to a shelter, it's a last resort. She doesn't have anywhere else to go. She doesn't have a friend's house she can go stay at. She can't go to a family's home. Um, She doesn't have the money to just go, you know, rent another apartment you know these women are really stuck they're in a really bad place and it just it's just so appalling to me that anybody would attack that of all things um and and that canadians would sit by and be like 
oh, well, I don't know. I don't really want to say anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's like, and, and, and then claim to be progressive people who care about other people, who care about the well-being of others and care about safety. And, you know, you know, they'll, they'll maybe speak out about, you know, we've got to protect, you know, trans women from violence. And it's like, what about these, like, hundreds and thousands of women who are suffering or homeless or trying to escape prostitution or trying to escape an abusive man or trying to recover from sexual abuse and so on and so forth? You yeah. know, addiction, mental health issues, it goes on and on and on. Well, and the other side assumes, I think, they always assume you're a bad actor because, you know, even when playing devil's advocate, I've had people say, well... You know, what about trans people that are that are killed and they're murdered at higher rates and this and that? I mean, yeah, that's bad too. People don't deserve to get abused and murdered and assault. That's I, I'm anti that as well, right? But it's just they they think that in this really tribal way where, you know, you're oh, you're a turf, so you hate you hate trans people automatically. Uh and then you're playing defense, basically, to try and articulate in the most nuanced way possible in whatever medium you're in to try and do so, that that's not the case, uh, that this is a more complicated issue and that women have fought for their rights for how many years to be able to have their own spaces, to be able to, to empower themselves. I mean, look at the sports thing. That's another thing that I'm, I'm still, you know, somewhat desensitized where you have situations where you know trans athletes destroy the records of young female girls that should be all-stars that have scholarship opportunities taken away from them because they can't compete that's you know that doesn't mean we hate the trans person now it just means that someone is clearly a group a gender of people is under attack so, I mean, it, it, it's really crazy to me. And I, I think Canada, like you said, is really a nexus for all of this. You have the Soji issue, you have the Bill C-16. I think the Bill C-16 was the nexus for it. But, I mean, where do you see this going? Do you think that five, ten years from now, you're still going to be at it, trying to fight the good fight? Um. It's, I mean, it's really tough to predict because it's, it's another one of those things where you see regular people coming around um, and people saying, you know, this is wrong, this doesn't make sense, and telling you privately, you know, like how upset or concerned they are. Um, I know a lot of parents who are very upset and concerned about Soji. You know, they're sending their kids to school knowing that they're going to be indoctrinated into this ideology and taught this, you know, this information that really is anti-science, you know, it would be like sending your kid to a school to be indoctrinated into some kind of religion that wasn't your religion. And they're going to, you know, teach, you know, the immaculate conception or something like that. You know, these little kids are going to school and being told that sometimes a boy is actually a girl and you should look for clues that he might be a girl, which I think is incredibly sexist because those clues are things like, you know, does he like to play with girls more than boys? Does he want to play with the dolls? You know, does he have long hair? Does he like girly clothes? And being taught that everybody has a gender identity 
and which is something that I think is garbage. I don't think that gender identity is a real thing. I mean, there's no material basis for a gender identity. I don't have a gender identity. I'm a woman and I have a personality. It's my personality. You know, some of that has probably been impacted by socialization into femininity. Some of it is just hardwired. Some of it is upbringing. Some of it is peers. You know, there's all sorts of factors. But Regardless of how my personality has come to be, whatever it is, which is not, you know, in all ways a very feminine personality, like I'm a pretty like dominant person, (laughs) you know, like I'm not exactly like a passive person. Um, And that doesn't change anything about my sex. And, you know, and yeah, so parents are really concerned about this and they don't really know what to do because it's sort of so far gone. And so we're in this tough position where regular people don't know what they can do. You know, they feel kind of helpless when these ideas have been institutionalized, when, you know, schools and and our politicians are against us, as it were. You know, I've tried many times to have these conversations with politicians only to be dismissed or ignored. Um, Right now in Canada, we're facing um, Bill C-6, which will um, criminalize uh, conversion therapy, but they've lumped in gender identity with sexual orientation. So what it effectively means is that it'll criminalize therapists or medical practitioners who would take the watchful waiting approach as as opposed to the... um, affirmative model which is where you know if if a child shows up and announces they are actually they're you know female but they're actually a boy or they're trans or whatever you can't ask questions you just have to rush them through you just have to give them puberty blockers you have to put them on hormones and if you ask questions you get accused of transphobia and that's really dangerous and yet you know the vast 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 majority of politicians are on board And they don't seem interested in our critiques. You know, they don't seem interested in wanting to hear it. They just think, oh, well, this will make me look good if I vote for it or support it. Or maybe they actually do think that it's helping whatever so-called trans kids. And, you know, the, the debate really isn't happening and the media isn't helping. Because the media also pretends that the debate isn't there and that there's no problem, and that you just have to take the rah, 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 trans approach to any of these issues and questions. And again, if you question, if you criticize, if you challenge, you hate trans people, you're transphobic, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's almost interesting that it sounds like it's almost more respectable in terms of, of speaking to someone who is on the other side and says, you know, you know what? I believe in trans kids and all that. That's my position. It's like, at least they have a position. At least they vote on a position. You may not agree with it. I don't, you know, I don't think I agree with it, but I think that that mushy middle is what Canada is. It's the mushy middle where if the wind is blowing that way, that's the way they're going to go. And politicians certainly will glance at a bill and, and, you know, approve it or sign it. But Mm -hmm. I mean, Final question would be this, and I'm, I, I want to end it on a high note, on a on a positive note. Okay. If you're if you're <laughs> if there's a young girl, if there's a woman who is a teenager who is going into college or university, and is concerned about these issues, what would your message to her be? Like, 
what would you tell the new generation of young women who want to be feminists, they don't want to be, you know, the, the super out there kind, they want to be the good kind, and what do you tell her? What do you tell her about what's going on, about women's spaces, about what they need to do? Do they need to do what you did? Um, I think that there's a couple things. One is that you can't just live your life in fear. So you can't go through life being afraid of what other people will say and what other people think. That's oppressive. You know, you worry about oppression, but it feels incredibly oppressive to have no voice and to not be able to speak your truth um, and to not be able to stand up and speak out when you see something happening that is wrong and you know I think that especially when we're younger we're very dependent on our peer groups and we're very concerned about what other people think but you know I think that when you do speak out it is scary you probably will lose friends. People might say mean things to you or say mean things about you. But I think that's part of a process of sort of finding your tribe also, of finding people that you can be yourself around and you can speak your truth and who appreciate that you're brave and that you bold, you're bold and you make choices based on what is the right thing to do and what's ethical rather than based on approval. Um, from people around you who you probably don't respect or you should not have any respect for anyway. I mean, I, I don't have very much respect for the kinds of people who will just watch and go along with um, these these terrible things. Just observe as people's lives are ruined, as society is destroyed and say nothing. Um, you know, you want to be around people who are better than that, who are stronger than that. And again, who will who will respect you, even if you end up disagreeing. It doesn't have to be you find people who disagree with everything you say. I mean, how boring would that be? Like, I like to be challenged. I like to, you know, learn new things and have new perspectives and ideas presented to me. I really like changing my mind about things, and I'm sort of confused about why so many people seem so afraid to change their minds, and I want to be like, it's great, you should try it. <laughs> like, learn something new, <laughs> hear from different people. But people who will treat you with respect, even if you disagree, even if you don't see things in exactly the same way, and maybe you'll learn something from one another. Megan, I'm really happy we got to do this. I, uh, I really appreciate it. I think we need to do it again. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It was great. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. That was Megan Murphy. She has her own podcast called The Same Drugs. I highly recommend it. She has a YouTube channel, which is just her name, Megan Murphy, as well as a Facebook page, which is also Megan Murphy. She does not have a Twitter page. There's a whole drama around that. Um, but, you know, who has Twitter anyways these days? Please support her work. She's doing really, really amazing work. Um, if you like what we're doing and you're watching on Facebook, please subscribe, please like, please share. If you're listening to my voice, that means you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please consider following and tell your friends. It really, uh, it really helps us out. Until next time, thank you.